again to our meeting here tonight. Greet you in Jesus' precious name. I think the topic that we have before us tonight and what was already shared was tremendous groundwork for, for what I would look at, like to look at tonight. The title for this evening is Resolving Conflict. And uh, I enjoyed sitting here and listening to some of the examples of that were given here and, and how that that kind of approach and that kind of humility brings resolution. That that's beautiful. I, I especially like the well, I like both of them really really much, but you know that the pastor that was approached in that way, and that's a challenge for us as pastors. We get we get those things sometimes. And it's good for us. We we need that. Um, but you know, the tremendous difference that that made in that relationship with the way he responded. Tremendous. Beautiful. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really what we need today. And humility is, is so extremely important in relationships. We read it in, in the Word of God over and over again. And uh, so it's so important. I think before we go, Father, I'd just like to bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father, tonight, you love us, you care about us, you love the church, you care about the church, and you are concerned about relationships in the church. You've taught us in your word about relationships, you've taught us about unity, and you've taught us how that we're able, how that we are, by God's grace, able to experience successful relationships. And so, Lord, tonight, I just pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit here. You would give me wisdom and understanding and a clear mind in being able to share with this congregation some of those truths. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go into our topic tonight, I would just like to back up just a little bit on last evening. I really wasn't quite finished last evening, but there's a couple things I'd like to, like to just cap on a little bit. Last evening, we talked about character, the real you, and how that character, our character affects our relationships. And then I had on the, on the, the last part, I had basic things that influence character. I had temperament. Temperament is, is something that kind of gets carried down to us. Uh, it can be heredity, inherent traits, um, something that you received from your parents, or it can go, that can go for, for a number of generations. Um, and then we talked about the um, intuitive moral standards, and then we talked a little bit, we, got, we touched very little bit on childhood training. Now, in childhood training, the reason I like to touch this a little bit is as I look at your church here, and as I look at your congregation, I, I see a lot of young children, young families. And, and there's something that, that you can do as, as parents as families, 
Character can be developed and redeveloped. But I venture to say that a person's character has a lot to do with childhood training. I think it has a lot to do with it. Now, like I mentioned, there, there are inherent traits. Yes, there is that. Um, you know, you hear this sometimes. I, I hear this sometimes. You know, you're talking about a certain individual and, and uh, then, an individual, then somebody might say, well, you know what? That's just like his dad was. His dad was the same way or like his mom was, or, or something like that. Um, there are certain traits that get carried down. But the real character, I think, can be developed, can, can largely be developed in, in childhood training. We looked at a number, number of those things, things like moral principles, integrity, self-discipline, determination, responsibility, dependability, motivation, a lot of those things we can we can train and develop character and the reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of these things will have a tremendous impact on that child's life as he grows up in in learning how to connect with people and relate with people because it's so vital it's so important um and I'd just like to give that as a word of encouragement to you parents tonight that are in the, in the middle of this thing of, of raising children at a very young age. Teach them integrity. Teach them self-discipline. Um, you know, a child left to himself. The Bible says, bring his mother to shame. Um, teach them determination. Teach them, teach them to stick with something when they're given a task to do. Uh, teach them that they need to stick with it. Teach them responsibility and hold them accountable for their responsibility. You know, if they don't do it, often it may need, you know, discipline, something. But carry it through. Stick with it. Dependability and motivation, those are all things that I think can be developed in a child. And a lot of those are critical years, in young years, um, as early as soon after they're born. They develop some of these traits, some of these characteristics, and, and we need to guide them. We need to help them through some of those things. Parental love, parental discipline, parental instruction, and parental example. One other thing I have I had on your outlines was additional elements that affect character. One thing I had there is our culture. I don't want to spend much time on that at all. But but there are things about our contemporary culture today that that are very alarming. That we as God's people need to need to need to strive against. I'm just going to read a little bit here um, in our con contemporary culture. Our contemporary culture is, is in moral crisis. There is no longer a general consensus on what constitutes morality or on where ethical standards originate. In fact, the whole notion of truth is coming under attack. This thing of absolutes, I read a statement here some time ago, 
where, where an individual made this statement. He said, there are absolutely no absol- absolutes. Well, what was he stating? Absolutely no absolutes. He was saying, huh, yeah, Ab- he was given an absolute right there in his, in his opinion. Ridiculous. And then it says, in fact, the whole, no- yeah, traditionally, the, the majority of Americans believe that the Bible's moral revelation provides fixed, permanent guidelines and a basis for moral consensus or, or common morality. The Bible was considered by most Americans to be a handbook of values, the best textbook ever penned on how to effectively and wisely live life. The basic truths of Western civilization were explicitly spelled out in the Old Testament, the Ten, Com- the Ten Commandments and the New Testament and the Sermon on the Mount. There was a gradual turning away from this thinking in Western civilization in as early as the 17th century. There was an event and a movement that, that came into effect way back in the 17th century. The movement was called Enlightenment. When many intellectuals proudly proclaimed auto- autonomy from God, meaning freedom from external control or influence and independence. The Enlightenment philosophy of rationalism, also known as modernism, modernism or humanism, tried to find truth in human reason alone. Human reason alone. Because this thinking excluded God, it helped result in a secularization of culture. Revelation was replaced by rationalism. The thinking was that human reason, not not divine, will or divine moral law. And more could be said about that. The reason I bring that in here is, is these are things that have impacted society and our world in relationships today. And we as God's people need to be aware that, that we need to take a stand against those kind of movements. There are so-called Christians today that are teaching some very similar things today. We need to be aware of that because it's going to affect our relationships within our church if we if we allow these kind of things to come in. I think this is a result of what we're seeing today in our government. Relationships are horrible. Relationships are horrible in our government. And you know what? I think it's because of some of these things that began way back then. We're seeing the results of that today. And it's, it's, it's just going on and it's, 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 it's picking up speed. And it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. Um, right at the end of your outlines last evening, I had, I want to encourage us to examine our lives and identify my weak characteristics. I'm not going to go over those tonight. But I think that's something that we we desperately need to do. Discover our weaknesses. Ask God for help. Ask God for strength, for direction, and healing where we have failed. Okay, I'd like to go into tonight now resolving conflict. 
I'd like to begin with reading Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, what? The children of God. I brought in verse 7, 8, and 9, because these are all principles that I think need to become a part of our life and experience. Merciful, pure in heart, pure in heart, and then peacemakers. And I think it's, it's, it's imperative that we have a pure heart, a heart of humility, like we talked about, and many other virtues, that we have a heart of mercy. And through the outworking of those things in our life, we can become peacemakers. Ephesians chapter 4, I'd like to briefly look at that. Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 1 it says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vacation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We have here tonight, in these verses, some, some keys, I believe, to resolving conflict. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep unity in the bond of peace. We could, we could look at some more of this chapter. Um, on down in verse 11 and, and following, it talks about the different gifts in the church. And whether we want to admit it or not, or not I think sometimes even the... I mean, this is so beautiful, the different giftings of the church... But when we become jealous or envious of each other and, and our giftings and, and what God has given us, um, that's not humility, I don't think. There, there's, we need to learn to, to look beyond that and look at the beauty of that. If someone, if someone does something better than I can do it, praise God. Um, it's a part of a church life that we must learn to, to love and appreciate. Don't feel threatened. Don't allow yourself to feel threatened when, when, you're, when you're feeling that. I picked up on, a brother um, was looking a little bit at Philippians chapter 2, and then I, as the, I was just scanning down over that chapter, later on in the chapter it says in verse 14, do all things without murmuring, and disputings. Do all things without murmuring and disputings. And then it says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of, how does that say? Ephesians, or Philippians, chapter 2. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, 
without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Being merciful, having a pure heart, and an attitude of making peace are three very, very important things needed in resolving conflict. Conflict. I have concluded that conflict in the church is inevitable. And I don't care if you disagree with me or not. That's fine. I'm open to that. But a little bit of observation, a little bit of just seeing what goes on in churches, in in our church, uh, I I think conflict is inevitable. I I just think it is. Um, Conflict, I believe, is a natural result of being people not yet glorified. Now, we have been redeemed, I, hope, I trust, we've been cleansed, but we're still human. We're human. We're living in a fallen world. We're living in a fallen world. What is conflict? And I, there'd be a number of different definitions we could put to this, I guess. But I just put down, a conflict is a struggle or an opposition. It can be serious disagreement argument about something important. As a church body, we must never forget the call and the purpose of the church. When we, when we face conflict, we, we need to look at what are we here in life for? What is the church all about? Is it about myself? Is it about others? Or is it about Jesus Christ? Or is it about all of that? I really think it's all of that. Primarily it's about Jesus Christ. But we need each other. I need you. You need me. Type of thing. The purpose of the church, I believe, is to establish and strengthen the Christian life of each member of the congregation by providing Opportunities for worship, instruction, instruction, nurture, fellowship, service, mutual aid, brotherly counsel, and evangelism. Another purpose of the church, I believe, is to be a vital witness of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in our community so that the gospel may be brought to the unsaved, leading them to faith in Christ through the new birth, experiencing membership in the church. Ones in unity need to be the oneness and unity needs to be the goal of each person within the church. Unresolved conflict becomes the seedbed of dissension and division and can destroy the closeness of the church and undermining its ministry. I think one of our, our main goals when we're faced with conflict whether it be brother to brother or whether it be something that we're faced with as a church together, something that we're disputing or something that we're trying to work through. Um, we need to, I think it's so important that, that we get those things resolved and we do it as soon as possible. Unresolved conflict or pushing things under the carpet, so to speak, often brings, it'll keep sticking up its pin, sticking up its face, 
time and time again. It needs to be resolved. I could tell you of a congregation I'm, I'm aware of that, that has had issues within that congregation for years. Unresolved issues, conflict. They haven't, they haven't had communion for probably four or five years. Haven't taken communion. You know what that's leading to? Church split. That's about where they're at today. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. Unresolved conflict. That's really what it does. The sad part about it is, is the testimony it's leaving in that community. Sad. Sad. When at one time they had a tremendous testimony for the Lord in that community. They're the only church in that given community. But today, that testimony is being greatly marred because of unresolved conflict. It's sad. That's sad. All right, I'd like to get, move on. Identifying some traits and actions that may be causes for conflict and if not dealt with properly will greatly hinder resolve. What's ironic, many times the individuals involved in conflict cannot, cannot or do not recognize these traits in their own life and experience. If you are ever involved in conflict, study these traits and make sure they are not a part of your life. Number one, carnality. Carnality. Carnality is the fleshly part of man which desires to control us. Apostle Paul has a lot, Scripture has a lot to say about carnality. To be carnal-minded is dead. To be spiritually-minded is life and peace. Carnal mind is enmity against God. Carnality. Carnality, I believe, has its I believe selfishness has its traits in carnality. It doesn't matter what's best for the church. All that, I, all that matters is how it affects me, myself, pers personally. The carnal person always carries a divisive spirit within him. He is easily offended and always responds by being offensive. Brothers and sisters, tonight... As scripture says, to be carnally minded is death. And I'm looking at these traits just simply for us to examine our own hearts. Where, are we, where do we stand with these things? 1 Corinthians 3 verse 3, For, are ye, for ye are yet carnal, for, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men? There's, there's some serious words there. There's some... There's some things there that we need to take take inventory of. Romans 8, verse 6 and 7. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Another, another trait of this kind of thing is the spirit of legalism. A critical, unloving attitude towards others. People who don't understand God's grace cannot extend grace. People who do not understand God's grace 
cannot extend grace. A spirit of legalism. Legalism sometimes has to do with having very little tolerance to others' perspective in matters of personal preference. We know there are things in Scripture that are absolutes and not open for debate. That's not really what we're talking about here. This is talk, I'm talking about things that pertain to personal preferences or the way that I think it should be done. The spirit of legalism. I'll tell you, we have to be really, really careful with that. Um, I don't know how you have it here. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad I can speak here tonight with, with a free mind because I, I don't know very little about your church here and, and what you're facing or, or, or what your past experiences have been. I, I know very little. Um, and so I, can, I feel like I can speak freely. But this thing of legalism is can be a very selfish, selfish uh, attitude. And we need to deal with it. A critical, unloving attitude towards others. And then number three, an independent spirit, which is simply a desire to do my own thing, my own way, my own time, my own convenience, one that does not want to be controlled by others' opinions or feelings, not bound by or committed to a group. This independent spirit has gained momentum, I think, in our day. Um, I want to do my own thing, my own way. I want to be independent. I, let me alone. I'm a Christian. I gave my heart to the Lord. I'm living for Jesus. But I don't want, I want to live independently on my own. Friends, tonight, as I look at Scripture, and I look at God's desire for the church, this, this independent spirit is, is, is a spirit that, that breeds division. Because most of the time, it's, it, this kind of a spirit is a very selfish spirit. And it needs to be dealt with in our own hearts. Being inconsiderate of others, convictions or feelings. 1 Corinthians 9.19 For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I may gain the more. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Servanthood. Serve it unto all, that I might gain the more. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Paul acted for the welfare of the church. You see, there was things, in, even in Paul's day, that Paul said, there's nothing wrong with it. In, in terms of... of Right and wrong in scripture, right and wrong in life. But I'm not going to do it because of the way it's going to affect the way my brothers feel about it. And this is an area that I think we, we, can, we can do a lot of work on. At least I, I feel like even I can. When, when, we're, when we're confronted with a situation and we're, we're in the... We need to, I'd like to give an example. Um, just say that maybe you and your family or, or you and your wife and, and another couple in church 
or, or traveling, and maybe you're traveling on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, and the, the, the couple that you're traveling with has, has really strong convictions about stopping to, to get a bite to eat. It's Sunday, we should not stop, and so we should not stop and get a bite to eat. You know that. But, you know, you're the driver, and you're hungry, and, and, and you feel like it's time to stop. It's time to stop for gas anyway, so we're going to go in and get a bite to eat. So you might make, you might you know, say that, okay, we, we stop, we're stopping for gas, and I'm going to go in and get a bite to eat. This, I think, is, is kind of in a practical form what Paul is talking about. You should not do that. Even if you're hungry. That don't hurt any of us to fast, does it? We're all pretty well fed here in America, at least in our culture. Um, I don't think we should do that for the sake of our brother. And just stop and think a little bit uh, as to what could happen in that relationship. What do you think could happen, potentially could happen in that relationship? When I do not respect what somebody else thinks. There's, there's probably better examples that we could use. Um, in that example, I think at least in my personal viewpoint, I think there is a, a something there that that we're we're hedging on the thing of the Lord's Day and, and how how we keep the Lord's Day and how that our church even asks us to keep the Lord's Day, and so I think we have to be careful with that. But there there are other things. Pastor Paul talked about the eating of meats. Um, he wouldn't eat certain meats depending on who he was around because he knew it would be offensive. Now, was there something wrong with eating those meats in and of itself? No, there wasn't. But he chose not to because of the way it would affect his relationship. I need to move on. Number four, a spirit of self-gratification. The act of pleasing oneself or of satisfying one's desires. Number five, a spirit of contention. Heated disagreement. We need to guard against these things. A spirit of division, a spirit which divides. Divisive spirit. And then number seven, an uncontrolled tongue. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Now, I come back to that illustration that was used here earlier about the pastor that was accused of some things. I believe he studied to answer what he answered. He took time to think it through. By impulse, if he would have answered that by impulse... That, that could make a difference as to what kind of a person he was, maybe. But, but sometimes we answer by impulse. And we end up saying things that we should not say. We end up, I'll tell you, our speech and the way we talk can have a tremendous impact on relationships. And it can have a tremendous impact on, on how we get along with each other. Our tongue can penetrate deeply. 
How about gossip? How about being defensive? An unruly tongue can drive wedges. It can manipulate others. Manipulate others. Our tongue can make some loaded statements. And when some of these things happen in relationships, it is going to greatly hinder the being able to um, resolve conflicts. We need to be very careful with our speech. All right, principles to follow in resolving conflict. Number one, I have the principle of love. And I think that's still the core issue in this whole thing of, of unresolved conflicts or in resolving conflicts, resolving conflicts. If we do not have the love of God the way we should, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle to be able to resolve conflicts. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love. That unfeigned love simply means sincere love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. I think that verse indicates that it takes effort to have a pure love for each other. Fervency. Fervency. It's something we need to work on. And it's not something that all of a sudden, okay, now we got it and now we got it. At least it doesn't work that way for me. What are my daily prayers in relating with our church and with people and businesses? God, give me your love today. And I may be able to, to exemplify your love to whomever I meet. Love is a choice, but love also is something that we need to constantly work, work on. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us in offering and in sacrifice to God for his sweet-smelling sweet -smelling savior. Savor. The principle of submission, Ephesians 5, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And then the principle of temperance, which is just simply moderation or self-restraint in action. Second Peter chapter 1, temperance is a Christian virtue. All right, we'd like to look at the biblical pattern of resolving conflict within the brotherhood. Three reasons why we need to resolve conflicts. Number one, it blocks my fellowship with God. When I'm in conflict with a with an, with an individual, and especially a brother, when I'm in conflict with a brother in the church, my fellowship with God is going to be hindered. Number two, it hinders prayers. It hinders prayers. 
And number three, it hinders my happiness. Have you ever seen somebody that's stooped in conflict that's happy? That's truly happy? Unresolved conflict? Something that just goes on and on and on and hasn't brought resolution to it? I believe it's very important. These are reasons why we need to resolve conflicts. Romans 12, verse 18, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And then prayer always, always needs to be exercised in making attempts to resolve conflict. Now that verse in Romans 12, 18, As much as lieth within you, make, live peaceably. I'm aware tonight that there are times that in resolving conflicts that if, if there's one of the parties that doesn't break and doesn't humble themselves, that it's going to be very, very difficult to, to bring total resolution to that. And, and I, my encouragement, I guess, if, if, if you happen to be an individual where you have done all you could, all that you know to the best of your ability, and, and through prayer and through God's love, and you've tried to, to resolve a conflict, bless your heart. But you know what? You need to continue to have that pure attitude and just show love when you have an opportunity. No, don't, don't try to force it on them. Just have that spirit of meekness and ominous when you're in their presence. Okay, steps to resolving conflict. Um, Matthew 18, verse 15 through 20. I don't think we're going to take the time to read that. I think many of us are aware of what Jesus is teaching there. The question I would like to ask, what should I do when I witness something, someone doing something offensive either to myself or to the church, or my best friend, whatever it may be, what should I do when I witness something like that? Or when I am the person that is being offended? What should I do with that? Pray for them. I think that's step number one. Pray for them. What else? If you do an approach, then do it in humility. We'd like to talk a little bit about, about how we should go about in doing an approach. Now, what happens a lot when, when something like this happens? In my observation, at least, and, and what I've seen and can easily happen is, is I'm going to start talking to somebody. Did you hear? Did you see what happened? That type of spirit is something that I think we all need to work on. We can become guilty of that very easily. Jesus taught that if you are an offended person by something that you saw or something that you heard, something that is against you, and you're an offended person, what's step number one? Step number one is, well, I think we talked about it already. First of all, I think it's very important that you take that thing before God in prayer. 
Sometimes, and I venture to say a lot of times, that's going to take care of it. When you begin praying for that person, your attitude and what develops in your mind is going to change. I say that because I've personally experienced that a number of times. And I say that too because I've observed that when we're willing to pray for a situation where we see that happening, and we pray for those two individuals, that God, through His Spirit, I've been amazed and marveled already at just seeing it all work out. And I never had to say a word. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Powerful weapon. We must use it. We must apply it. But then, as we pray, and we take care of the beam in our own eye, as was talked about tonight, if we had any, and probably, we, most likely, we may have, we need to take care of those things first. Have an open, honest heart with God. Go to them first and talk to them. I believe much of church conflict could be avoided if we used this first step. I believe that with all my heart. Too many times when something happens, where do people go to? They'll go to the preachers. Tell the preachers about it. What are we preachers supposed to do when that happens? What are we supposed to do with that? I'll share with I'll share with you what I did with it a number of years ago. I had a brother come to me soon after I was ordained. And I knew there was issues with one of my co-pastors, with some of our people. Well, this one brother took the initiative. I guess he thought, you know, this, this fellow here, he's going to be able to get into this thing and he's going to be able to work something out here. And he, he began to tell me what he thought was all wrong with some of his approaches. My response to that, my first response was, did you ever talk to him yourself? And he said he didn't. I said, brother, that's the first thing that needs to take place. I said, I will refuse to talk to him until you first have taken that step. And then I want to hear how you made out. You know what? I never heard a thing again. I never heard a thing again. The issue was resolved, at least to a, to a degree. But I'm telling you, that's not the Jesus way to go to the preachers first. Go to them yourself. If you see it yourself, it's time to close. But I've had this, I, I, I've had situations where somebody came to me with something where they, you know, they, they would share something that happened. And I would just simply tell them that you witnessed it, you saw it, you're a mature brother. Why don't you go talk to him? Because too many times when we as pastors take the initiative to go on somebody else's word to do it, 
there's a fence just because of that. Why didn't that brother come to me and talk? So 